Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of FF+. Plus. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me tonight is, as usual, Patrick. Hey, everybody. And also, for the first time on FF+, Plus, and second time on the Feel and Film podcast, Coles Davis. What's up? So Coles is joining us again. If you were not available to listen to our Us episode for some crazy reason, you haven't seen that movie yet and listened to us, Coles joined us for that episode for the first time. He's a new member of our team. We're really excited to have him on board, and he will be a frequent contributor uh, on the podcast in the future, and especially on some of these FF Plus episodes. And we threw him right into the fire. We've got a busy, packed episode for you tonight. We're going to be talking two or three different movies, two different movies, a trailer, and a couple of TV episodes. And what we did is we threw Coleste right into the press screening for Pet Cemetery. We said, go see this movie with your girlfriend and tell us what you think. And so, Coleste, why don't you kick us off? I'm going to read the summary real quick, just so people know if you're not familiar for some reason with Pet Cemetery. So this is the second adaptation of this horror novel by Stephen King, the great Stephen King. The first one came in 1989, the first film that that is, and the story goes like this. Dr. Lewis Creed and his wife Rachel relocate from Boston to rural Maine with their two young children. The couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their new home. To be honest, Coles, I am one of these people that have never read the book, never seen the original, and I know nothing about it other than that there are creepy cats, and I was afraid that wouldn't let me sleep at night because I thought mine might want to murder me. So, give us the skinny, man. What did you think? Well, overall, I think Pet Cemetery is a decent horror remake. The only good one that I can really say that came close to beating out the original was um, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead back in 2004. So I didn't really have high expectations for this. I didn't expect it to beat out the original because I'm in love with the original film. And I haven't read the novel, but I've had a lot of friends who have it. And they told me it's a very, very good book. Might need to get to it probably sooner after. But um, I didn't have high expectations. And it was decent for the most part. The film... They didn't do a shot-for-shot shot remake, which I like, because those are just typically boring. It tries to um, remake the story to its own image and vision for a new generation. I think this film is more suited for people who are not familiar with the original story. Oh, that's like, good for me. <laughs> yes, like, they change a lot of elements from the original story and, like, reverse it in this film. Like, certain characters end up dying when in other films they were alive for most parts and certain like characters don't have much of a presence in this film which i was kind of was disappointed about and some of the same story beats about death grief you know the undead cursed burial grounds you know those are touched upon but they're kind of given more like leeway to kind of expand in depth and i like that also I would have to say the ending was a great surprise. I for sure would tell you that you'll like the ending. The ending was really good. It shocked me off, out of all people because I was expecting for the same ending that we got in the original film. But then I saw this and I was like, wow, this is a this is a good 
change that I can get down with. I like this adjustment to the story. And there were some really great genuine jump scares. Like there was a couple of scenes I did not see coming. Like where, you know, bodies were falling or people would come out of the dark. Like that literally like, you know, made me shudder back in my seat. And my girlfriend, she was pleasantly scared as well because the original one also gave her nightmares. And the crowd was amazing too. Like there was a there was one woman, I think, in the crowd who just kept going like, oh my God. Like, oh, like she just kept like <laughs> just saying all these little obscenities because she was just so frightened by the film as for the technical aspects of the film the special effects were uh muscle minnows i mean they were okay some some scenes were were greatly like well produced other scenes wasn't the camera work was very shoddy in certain aspects like there was a lot of dutch angles for some reason that made no sense the acting overall is good jason clark he's great he plays mostly a sad man the whole time he's happy in the beginning but he just gets sad towards the most of the continuing of the runtime john lithgow is really good he brings a southern charm to his character which which of course was not going to beat out the original film if you ever get a chance to watch the original film watch out for the character judd he's like the best part of the film and the best part of the novel would you say that we should watch the original film first if we haven't seen it, or we should just go ahead and take this one on its own and then go revisit the first one after it. Yeah, I would say you can do either or. Um, it doesn't really matter for the most part. If you watch the original first and you watch the new one, you'll have the same reaction that I had. Like, oh my God, they changed like a lot of things with the story. But if you watch this one, go watch the old one, it'll be interesting to see which one you think is better. For my money, the original one takes the cake, of course. Um, this one had its good moments and it had its bad moments. But for the people who are not adjusted to the story, they will love this film. They will love it. For the people who, like me, love the original one and are knowing that this is a remake, they're going to be like, eh, you know, it's good, but it's not worth a rewatch. It's not something I can see myself turning in again. But it's good for the most part. So, So tell me this, man. Scary cats. Okay, I have three cats. This is a well-known thing that I am like the crazy cat lady of the podcasting world. So Truth. I guess Truth I'm not the crazy cat lady. I'm the crazy cat guy of the podcasting world. Cat so, person. Let's keep it politically correct, okay? So being it is that I have three feline companions in my home at any time, three of which sleep on my bed at all times, and one of which, who is all black, who sleeps directly on my chest. Is this movie going to ruin my relationship with my best friends? Hell yes. Oh, Hell no. Yes. Oh, no. I'm glad I didn't go. The cat in this film is very, very terrifying. <laughs> I mean, it, and I like that there's some scenes where the cat, like, I'll go ahead and do just a little bit of us. The cat does turn out to become undead in some kind of way, you know, in the film. You know, you can definitely tell by the poster the cat is a very evil, sinister creature. And there's certain scenes where they'll do a reversal where, like, the cat will pretend that it's just, like, the normal cat it was beforehand. And then it will all of a sudden turn back and, like, scratch at you or bite at you or something like that. Uh, like, a lot of people were in love with the cat, but when the cat started, like, going crazy, they were like, oh, my God, you know. So a lot of the cat lovers out there are going to be kind of terrified of how they portrayed the cat. But I thought it was a nice touch. Well, that's good to know, I guess. I'm glad you clarified that for us those of us who love our pets and don't want to see them as undead maniacs one more reason you should get a dog aaron oh can we not go there not today i need a day off of getting a dog of aaron getting a dog <laughs> everywhere i go it's like aaron are you getting a dog aaron what dog are you getting aaron win this win that no no aaron just said dogs are on the radar like that's not 
people sending me pictures of like dogs in the shelter, listeners. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious. I love you listeners, but you don't have to actually find me a dog. I mean, when I, it's kind of like, you know, just a, just a saying. <laughs> I'm not actually asking you to do that. So it's okay. just a saying. <laughs> when I, when I post on I like Facebook, cats. it's just a saying. No, I mean, when I post on Facebook and I say something like, Hey, if anybody knows if this magical animal exists, meaning this perfect dog that I have created in my mind as my, as I want. I don't actually expect people to be like, oh, yeah, Aaron, here's your magic dog. I expect people to understand that that's kind of like facetiousness that I'm speaking in, not reality. But what anyway, about a magic unicorn? that's a good segue. That's a very good segue. Well, thank you, Coles, for the, the Pet Cemetery review. So we're going to jump into now uh, talking about Unicorn Store, as Patrick just alluded to. This is Brie Larson's directing debut, this film is going to be out on Netflix on April 5th. So by the time you're listening to this episode, it probably is available. Unicorn Store is a very Netflixy movie, is what I would say. It fits the pattern pretty darn well of giving people a little bit of extra leeway to explore movie making in a way that maybe big studios wouldn't. And sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. The synopsis is this. A woman named Kit, played by Brie Larson herself, receives a mysterious invitation that would fulfill her childhood dreams. Patrick, I'm going to let you kick us off. What did you think about this one? Well, you're right in that this is a movie that is definitely Netflix worthy. And I that can that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I really enjoyed it. So I think that I have become a big fan of Brie Larson recently. I've yet to see Room, which I know is a shock to most people. But um shocked to me. Fact, I had no idea that you had not seen Room. There's a lot on my list that I haven't seen. We've had conversations where more than likely I'll say, I haven't seen that. It's it's on the radar. It it is now higher on the radar because of of my of my love for Brie Larson now. Have you and seen Short Term Twelve? Yes, I have seen oh, that okay. because of our recommendation from I think episode two. Yep. On our on our quick picks. That's right. So I did see that. But she has quickly become someone I want to see her whole filmography, even if it is that limited. And I was reading some reviews on on this movie, and the word quirky kept coming up. And that's definitely the operative word to describe the tone of of this movie. I mean, when you're when your title is called Unicorn Store, you know you're probably in for a bit of a fantastic plot. What I like about this, though, is Someone else had quoted this as saying, it's reminiscent of Napoleon Dynamite, only a little bit more restrained. And I think that's the best way I know how to describe it. It's got some really funny moments of comedy, some kind of out there, okay, did she really say that? Um, there's some tender moments with the characters. But overall, it's kind of a feel-good movie with a twinge of drama here and there. Like It doesn't go so deep that you're like, wow, there's some really heavy emotional beats. But there's enough there for me personally that I I finished watching it saying that was really good. I think I'm I could probably watch that again at some point. And I think Brie Larson, seeing her in Captain Marvel and then watching her in this was such a nice just juxtaposition, seeing two sides of her where she's like this kind of stoic person in Captain Marvel, and then she goes to this kind of adolescent type of character in this movie and trying to find out if she can actually attain what it is that she's been seeking her whole childhood life. Yeah, I would 
actually agree with you in that Napoleon Dynamite comparison. And I should say, I absolutely despise that movie, which doesn't surprise me that we're comparing these two. I didn't hate Unicorn Store, though. This is quirky, but it's also just, it's so bizarro that for me, I had a real hard time actually connecting to it in a way that was, I think, meaningful and lasting. It had moments. I mean, you and I both are now pretty tuned in to picking out a connecting point, even in movies that we're not podcasting on. It's just like what we think about now, how we approach film watching and what we do. And so I had a couple of good ones. There's a great campfire shot in this movie or scene rather where um, you talk, talk to me about this offline where her parent characters uh, Bradley Whitford and Joan Cusack wonderful. Phen- wonderful 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 and there's some really impactful stuff that they say to her that's like an aha moment for her childish character to say oh hey it's not all about me and oh well you know it, it did make me think a little bit in the bigger sense of adults who are having trouble growing up and why we may not understand why others are acting the way that they are acting, that there may be stuff going on behind the scenes in the background that we're not privy to. So it was a really, really good moment. But overall, I just don't think that this thing had a script that gave Brie Larson a chance to shine at all as a director. I think it's fine in the directorial debut sense, as far as what she does, her acting is stellar. I thought she was amazing. I mean, and I love her too in pretty much everything, but I thought she was great in this, even though I didn't really care for the character, which tells me how good she really is doing. Samuel L. Jackson's hilarious in a really bit part as this pink suit, pimpish wearing, I don't know. I mean, he's selling unicorns, folks. Like he's in a unicorn store. There's a reason it's called that. It's, it's interesting. The, um, her best friend. In this film, uh, Kit's best friend is a guy named Virgil. She meets him, and he essentially is helping her to complete a task that she needs in order to attain this thing that she wants. And I loved the actor playing Virgil. I thought he did a really phenomenal job, and that they had a really cool friendship that's non-sexualized. I like that about this movie. But overall, it's just so strange and tonally awkward for me, Patrick. I, I don't know. I came yeah. away very meh. I yeah. do not see myself watching it again, so I'll kind of, I guess, be on the lower side than you are. Okay. Um, but I do think that it's worth watching for folks, especially people who enjoy just watching artists step out of the box and do things for the first time and, and appreciating creativity because that's what this movie really is about. Yeah, and I think that Brie Larson, her character that she plays, and I think her presence as a director shines here when you make a directorial debut you're throwing everything into it and i'm not giving like non-kudos to christopher nolan and other directors who are acclaimed and who do these things like year after year after year i mean they put their whole heart and soul in this thing but there's something about that first time when you sit behind the camera and not only are you directing other actors but you're also directing yourself to an extent i mean she is the main character and i've got it I've always had a fascination with those directors that are also actors. You know, Bradley Cooper comes to mind with The Star is Born and being able to pull out a performance as well as direct a movie 
that is that successful has got to be an enormous challenge. And so when you can pull something like that off, it's a pretty big deal. So for Brie Larson, you've got to have a lot of tools in the shed. You've got to have great actors, which I think this cast by itself is worth watching the movie at least once. You mentioned Bradley Cooper, Joan Cusack's in this. Uh, I'm sorry, not Bradley Cooper. I'm sorry, Bradley Whitford. My bad. And then Joan Cusack and you got Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, those three alone for me were worth watching this at least once. And then you have, you've got to have a great script, which you're right. This is not a strong script. Now there were a handful of lines that made me laugh out loud. There's a great dialogue between Kit, uh, Brie Larson's character and her boss. And he says, what are your long-term goals? And she responds so nonchalantly, I would like to not be a great disappointment. And he follows it up quickly by saying like part-time or full-time as if he's just not even paying attention to what she's saying. And it's those kind of subtle moments that I think made me smile. And there, there are lots of those in this that if you're not fully into it, you're probably not paying attention to it much. But I think it's that Napoleon Dynamite, that kind of offhanded, weird, goofy tone that appealed to me. And those types of moments and the scenes like the truth share scene that you mentioned around the campfire were were solidifiers for me. And I think that's what made it good for me. Well, that's good. Uh, that boss character don't like him. Didn't, uh, didn't enjoy the sexual harassment subplot that didn't really go anywhere. Thought that was a really odd inclusion in the script here. Was not a fan. Uh, why it was in this movie. Couldn't tell you. I also think this has a great whimsical score. It really fits the colorful, just zaniness of what's going on. And, the childlike one mind of the whole film that it, that it takes. That's why that sexual harassment piece, it, it made sense. It did. I understood it from a, an adult perspective of uh, a female going into a workplace for the first time, maybe not understanding what sexual harassment is, maybe feeling like it should, it's an okay thing to accept. And I think that's what they were going for. But the way it plays out in the movie is I just think under, developed or underhandled didn't didn't be handled well in my opinion but yeah so overall looks like one thumb sideways and one up maybe sure we'll give i'll take that all right sounds good good thing we don't (laughs) do thumb ratings here yes i don't even know why i did that but yeah so check it out it's on netflix folks uh probably for you right now okay well we are going to move out of the movie realm and into do, 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 do. I don't, I can't do that right. The Twilight Zone, yeah. which is okay. not a movie. It's TV. Jordan Peele's produced new show. Um, went through this on our Facebook group last week when I was trying to figure out why the heck Jordan Peele's name was everywhere all over this when he didn't write anything or direct anything or act in anything. I was like, what the heck did Jordan Peele do other than like promote this thing? But apparently he executive produced it and as I've come to find out, he was heavily involved in bringing back this new storytelling, and he's he's involved. Okay, he his handprints are all over this. I actually really enjoy his narration in both episodes, by the way. So we are going to talk about the first two episodes of The Twilight Zone. Both of these are now available to watch. Uh, episode one is called The Comedian, and it is actually free on YouTube right now. I don't know how long that is going to be. Both episodes are available on CBS All Access, which is where the entire show is available. And starting on April 11th, episode three will come out on Thursday. And every Thursday after that, I think up until 10 total episodes, maybe, uh, they'll have a new one for The Twilight Zone. 
This CBS All Access, if you're not familiar with it, it is $5.99 a month with ads. It's an extra little smaller scale streaming service. Uh, and it's $9.90 month, $9.90? $9.99 a month without ads. It's got shows like, I think Hawaii Five-0 is on there now. Uh, Star Trek, the new discovery or the new, the new version of Star Trek is on there. And then, of course, uh, some After Dark Big Brother stuff for CBS, and then now the Twilight Zone. So yeah, that's how you can get it. They have a week-long free trial as well, so if you are inclined, you could pop that free trial, check out these first couple episodes, um, or you could save up your free trial and binge the whole show once it's all out. You can do that too. But we're going to do a little spoiler-free talk here on these first two and tell you what we thought about them. The first one is The Comedian. And it stars Kamel Nanjiani, uh, Tracy Morgan, and a really, really great female actress um, that plays a fellow comedian with Kamal in the story. I'm not familiar with her name, but I know Coles, uh was definitely tuned in and, and really enjoyed her performance. So, Coles, I'm going to let you start. What do you think about the comedian? And also, maybe, wait, hold on, pause. I'm going to back up. What is our experience collectively with The Twilight Zone? I'm going to raise my hand first and call myself out. I've only seen maybe one or two episodes of this TV show, and I was really young. It was on, like, Nick at Night or something. So I have not seen, essentially, the originals. What about you, Coles? Have you seen the original show? I've seen um, the original show probably ten times over. Ever since I was a little kid, July 4th wasn't just all about fireworks for me. July 4th was also the day that sci-fi, the sci-fi channel would have the Twilight Zone all-day marathons. And pretty much that's what my TV would be tuned into all day. Like my grandma would be in the kitchen cooking and everything like that, but I would just be in the back just watching all Twilight Zone. So it's one of my all-time favorite TV shows, and it's very near and dear to my heart, so I was glad to see that Jordan Peele was bringing it back again. Awesome. What about you, Patrick? Have you seen the show before? Oh, I live the show. In fact, I've got two books here, the twi- one about the show itself and then one about Rod Serling as uh, as his role in The Twilight Zone. And like you, Coles, that's where it started for me was Sci-Fi Channel, but then I found the collections and ended up purchasing them. I'm so glad they're on Netflix because this is what I do outside of watching The Office, when I don't know what I want to watch and I want something that's half an hour, I'll pop in an episode of The Twilight Zone. What I love about the show, and I I want to say this will speak for the new 2019 edition, is that you can always go back to older episodes having that kind of short-term memory and get that rediscovery of the twist, of the plot. You're kind of familiar with some of them, but then you kind of pop one in and you're like, did I see this? Yeah, I did. I, I've seen all of them, but oh, that's this one. And there were, you know, well over like 80 or 90 episodes. Some of them pushed out to 45 minutes for a season or so. But I love anthology series in general. And the Twilight Zone was one of those things that I, I think set a benchmark for things like The Outer Limits, things like Night Gallery, things like Black Mirror, where you have creative storytelling that doesn't have to be threaded with each episode although that's a nice bonus when they can kind of connect and and i think i got that feeling from these first two episodes i feel like the tone was right i felt like jordan peele is the narrator seems like he's having a lot of fun and he's not trying to be rod serling he's trying to be jordan peele and i think that's a good thing because nobody can be rod serling just like nobody can be Mr. Rogers. I mean, there are just icons out there that you cannot emulate. You're not really supposed to. 
And Rod certainly is one of those guys. And I think Jordan Peele, in his role as the narrator, is I, I think it's going to be fantastic. And I love the fact that he's an EP behind this. Love to see a creative story come out from from his brain at some point. Maybe if the show starts getting more legs, then then we'll see that. Maybe we'll see it this season. I'm not sure. Well, he's already put out two that, in a lot of ways, could fit as miniature Twilight Zone episodes if they were condensed. So true. I would not be shocked if he was able to do that. Well, getting into this first episode here, because we've got two to briefly talk through. Um, again, no spoilers, just kind of how our, how we felt about them. And if you've seen the original this is based on, feel free, you guys, to compare the two. I have not. So um, I'm coming at it from a different angle. But, Coles, why don't you kick us off with the comedian? What did you think about the first episode? Very nice, strong start to the um, series. You know, um, it was interesting. I saw that the episode stretched out to an hour. So I was like, oh, wow, we're going to get a lot of um, airtime with this one. And um, when it starts off at the beginning, you're not exactly sure where it wants to take you. But you have like this kind of air of suspicion that things are just not going to turn out well, which is the pretty much the keynote for every Twilight Zone episode for the most part. Seeing Tracy Morgan in there with his little supporting role was awesome to see. You know, I love Tracy Morgan. He's one of my favorite comedians. He was great. Kumala, that's how you pronounce his name? Kumal. Kumal, yeah. Kumal was phenomenal. I loved him in this episode. Um, and it made me actually want to go and check out The Big Sick, which I've never seen before. Just off the base of his performance in here, you know, he was intense when it was called for. He was charming when it was called for. He was very cynical when it was called for. He just hit all the right beats as far as what was needed for his performance. And um, the girl who plays Dee Dee, I know her name is Diara Kilpatrick. She stole the show for me, honestly. Like, she was just a bundle of energy just wrapped up in just this little small, like, little package and everything. Like, whenever she came up to a scene, she just stole it with just her energy and her charisma. Not taking any anything away from Kumal and everything, but she had that same, like, kind of fire spark in her performance and everything. And I literally got goosebumps when Jordan Peele first came onto the screen for the narration. Like, just, like, getting that same, like, like, Patrick said, I mean, of course he can't be Rod Sterling, but, you know, he kind of puts you into that mood of just with the little narration, you know, the way that he's able to tie in the certain beats of the story within, like, you know, abstract wording. And, you know, you get that sense like, hey, I'm just ready to see what happens with the story. So in the beginning of the first half, I was like concerned because I did, I was thinking like, oh, is this just all going all it's going to be as far as the main plot point? But then it turns on its head within the second half and that's when the episode really took off for me. Very, very strong start. I I instantly fell in love with this episode, and I had to go back and rewatch it again because I loved it that much. Man, that's awesome. You know, you mentioned the length, and I got to say, I was caught off guard because I thought, like Patrick, you mentioned them being 30 minutes. I thought that's what I was going into. And I think it worked against the comedian, in my opinion. I don't think it needed to be stretched out to an hour the second episode is like 37 minutes felt much more tight and better paced, I guess, in my opinion. So I think that there wasn't a need to do that. I don't know why they made that choice. I think they could have cut a couple of examples out of the story. Essentially, I don't know how to talk about this without a ton of spoilers, but the story revolves around a comedian who is given the answer to way to become famous and a way to have his jokes start to hit home. He lives in a world where very much like Kamal's set in the big sick, actually. And I'm pretty sure that some of these jokes I've literally heard in Kamal's sets before, which is pretty fast, pretty fun. 
where the audience is no longer listening to the comedians. They're watching their phones. They're completely oblivious. And he's telling political jokes and getting nowhere. And Tracy Morgan's character, this iconic figure from the past who we don't know much about, mysterious guy comes in and says, you know, you've got to talk about yourself. You've got to be personal in order to catch the audience's attention. And so the story progresses from there as to both the success and fallout of Kamal, Kamal's character doing that. So I definitely thought it could have been a little bit shorter. And then also before Patrick, you jump in with your thoughts. I wanted to mention the episodes are TV mature, TVMA. And I felt like that added nothing to either one of these other than a few curse words. The, the bit that I think where the MA comes in on the comedian is related to Dee Dee, the female character's uh, comedy. She is a very, she's a very dirty mouth, very brass, brash mouth. And some of her comedy is centered around a sense of using words that people use derogatorily about females <laughs> to take the power back and use them herself, I think is what the point of it is. But I just felt it was a little bit of overkill. I guess my, in my head, I watched the second episode with my son guys and I thought, man, I, these could have been perfectly clean and had the same impact. So that was my take on the, the MA-ness of the episodes. It's not like Game of Thrones, you know, incest is not happening in these episodes or anything like, oops, did I spoil that? Uh, episode, nothing gets happening in that. So it's not like super bad, but just kind of something I noticed. But anyway, Patrick, the comedian, what did you think? Well, I, I agree with you, Aaron, that it was a bit too long. There was a point in the middle that could have probably been shortened up, but it didn't take away from the story for me. I think that something that makes the Twilight Zone so good is that social commentary that Rod Serling is famous for. And some episodes are a lot more, speaking to the original, some episodes are a little bit more on point than others. And this is one of those that, in the spirit of the original series, hits that in terms of its social commentary. It's relevant, which I think is pretty fantastic. And you got to love Jordan Peele being the EP behind this because he's probably just completely endorsing stuff like this. But what I think is great, and this is only based on the first two episodes, is not every episode has to be that. And a lot of people will look at this series, rightly so, and compare it to something like Black Mirror because of that anthological storytelling. I think subjectively, and again, only on two episodes, that Black Mirror has a lot of solid episodes. But the problem with Black Mirror for me is that it's so hopeless. There are so many episodes that center around being humiliated. And what I loved about the original Twilight Zone is the fact that not every episode was like that, that they had some purpose and they were creatively told. There was an interesting twist more often than not. But only a handful of times did I feel like I was being preached to. And I felt like the comedian does that, but it does it in a lot more subtle way. And to speak to what you were talking about, about the TVMA, this is a definite, this is definitely a tamer show than Black Mirror, where Black Mirror just holds nothing back. And to an extent that can benefit the show, Black Mirror, but I agree with you. I think when it's necessary, you can get a little bit more raw with your language or raw with your subject matter if the story necessitates that. And I don't, I think the comedian could have invited that and probably did to some extent because when you listen to comedians, they most of them you hear work blue. They work using foul language and talk about kind of absurd things. And I think that this main character starts out with a very safe 
set of jokes that enhances the fact that he's not funny and that he needs this help from Tracy Morgan's character and that he's not, it's not that he's being raunchy. It's just that his jokes are very tame. And to reinforce that they're about the government and they're about, you know, the second amendment. And so I think that it can work in an episode's favor, but I agree. I want more of these episodes that don't make me feel uncomfortable unnecessarily. Yeah, I really love this. Uh, Coles told me before I watched it that he thought that I was going to enjoy it, and he was absolutely right. I am a big Kamal fan uh, from his his work in The Big Sick and his comedy shows before that, and I thought that the cast was phenomenal. Right away in these first two episodes, Jordan Peele is showing his mastery of how to bring diversity to a story in a way that is not forced and it is only noticeable because it's different than what we're used to seeing. It is not noticeable because it sticks out. Um, both of these episodes feature, you know, Americans and people of a ton of different nationalities and color. And they're from starring roles to bit parts. And I just thought it was phenomenal and so well done. I mean, like expertly done to the point where Hollywood movies need to take a look at this and see how well you can, you know, have diversity in your storytelling where you it doesn't affect it at all in a negative way like not everybody does have to be white although one of the characters is but jordan peele didn't direct this so it doesn't count um in in the second one <laughs> but when we're talking about the comedian i liked this concept so much and i started to roll my eyes a bit when you were talking about how black mirror was dark and the twilight zone and then you said the original wasn't these first two episodes are pretty dark um, especially the comedian, like the comedian is, is a dark episode. Uh, it goes to a dark place and, you know, the concept being what Tracy Morgan tells, uh, Kamal's character joke about yourself and your life and your truth. People will laugh. Politics, not funny. I mean, we could unpack just that sentence in so many different ways. It's all about telling your secret and there was so much in this episode, so many of the things that get said. I wrote down so many quotes that, like you said, the social commentary, I thought led to these bigger ideas, things for us to think about. It's really, really well done, I thought. Um, I, I just enjoyed everything about it. And then as a movie itself, or I'm sorry, as a, as a piece of art, like the cinematography, it was dark and shadowy with a lot of close-ups it had a very claustrophobic feel to it and i think that fit well the main character and the experience he was going through with his world kind of tightening in on him um, with him gaining kind of control of it in a sense so yeah i think for me this was darn near close despite the length to being a home run of a first episode i bought in immediately and I loved it. And like you just said, Coles, when Jordan Peele showed up, I was just kind of giddy. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, I, I think The Comedian is a great start uh, to this. And this is that free one on YouTube. So, you know, listeners, if you haven't, you can go check this out right now and decide what you think about the show. Um, the second episode, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. This, I don't know if these are, I think these are both remakes. So I think, but Leave the Comedian is a remake of an episode that had William Shatner, if I read that correctly. Somebody's shaking their head at me. Go ahead. No, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet is the William Shatner remake. Oh, okay. Is that, did it have gremlins? 
the 80s one. So this, so there's been three different versions of this story. Okay. There was the I was original waiting one. for Gremlins to happen, and there were no Gremlins. Well, can, can, I, can I kick us off real quick? Because I want to talk about that. Please do. So one of the challenges that I was going to have with this show was, are you going to retell familiar stories and put a new spin on them, or are you going to tell creative, newer stories that exist in other places? And the answer is yes, as we found out. The Comedian is actually based on loosely on an episode from the 1980s Twilight Zone. And at least in part, there's a part of it that's actually based on another, I think, um, a Korean show of some kind. I, I was reading a little bit about it. But the word inspired is probably the better way to describe that particular episode. Nightmare at 30,000 Feet is not a shot for shot by any means, but is a loose reinterpretation of the 1960s version and the 1980s version. And what I, I actually enjoyed this episode more than I thought I would because of the fact that there is a new interesting take on the story itself. And if you're familiar with the originals, some of the same plot points are there. Only as far as there's a guy, he gets on a plane and something goes wrong. Everything after that and surrounding that becomes more fresh, at least for me as an audience. And I found myself going, oh my gosh, I didn't realize they were going to go there. And I'm okay with that. I'm completely okay with taking inspiration from original stories or original series stories and putting a new current spin on it. Because to me, stories are not all new. They're just refreshed. And when you capture an audience that is familiar with Serling's Twilight Zone and you add something to it or spin it in a way that that gives them a, a different interest, it makes it just as enjoyable because you're getting that familiarity, but you're getting that originality, which is what I felt uh, watching that episode. Well, that's good because, like you said, I was looking for gremlins. That's all I knew about this. And I kept wondering where they were going to happen. This one is super fun because it has a guy listening to a podcast. Um, so a little bit of, I think, extra interest there from those of us who podcast. Um, I would like to think that we're prescient in some ways. Somewhere in the future, someone's listening to us and learning about their life, maybe. Um, no, probably not. I guess it doesn't work. All right. Well, here's my thoughts on this real quickly. I love Adam Scott with a just all my heart. I think he is a phenomenal actor. And um, as far as non-Hollywood star actors, he's absolutely one of my favorites. So I think he did a great job in this. Uh, again, with the diversity in the cast, I thought it was well done. And the growing paranoia of the main character as he is trying to solve this mystery of what he is hearing happen on the podcast. Basically, the podcast that he is hearing is describing what is happening to this plane uh, as it is kind of going down or slightly he's listening to it he's listening to events the events unfold on the podcast slightly before they would actually be happening and he's trying to solve the mystery he's an investigative journalist by trade he's got a little bit of a sketchy kind of questionable past and also some trauma i think and that all plays into his presuppositions and his stereotyping and the way that he addresses what he hears and tries to make sense of it. I enjoyed this a lot. My son enjoyed this a lot. Uh, my 14 year old so much so that he asked like, when are there other episodes coming out? He wanted to watch more. That got me excited that he was interested in the concepts um, here. 
I did not know what was happening. This one surprised me. I was unable to kind of peg it from the very beginning, and I liked that. I made some predictions that were wrong, and I enjoy when a mystery story does that to me. So I don't know if that worked out for you guys or not. Um, the Peel narration in this one, like we were talking about in The Comedian, how it was cool when he showed up. The way that he shows up in this one, I think, was really well done and unique, kind of integrating him into the story. In general, this one showed me the way that the show can be brought into a modern day era and reinvent the same type of idea, but for a new generation, i.e. the podcast. Someone finds an MP3 player in an airplane, that wouldn't be in an 80s or 50s episode of the show, but you can tell a story in a way that relates to your audience now versus a way that would have had to been told to relate to them back in those days. So I like that. I like the update. I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I thought it was a good length. The 37 minutes worked out great, and there's a really stinger of an ending in this that I definitely did not see coming, and I was like... Oh no! <laughs> and yeah, back to darkness. But so, what did you think, Coles, about the nightmare on or nightmare at thirty thousand feet episode? Well, for me, when I first watched it, you know, um, I didn't really exactly know what to really take away from it. Usually, the best episodes in the Twilight Zone have been episodes that have taken place on an airplane. So I was very excited and patient for what this episode was going to bring. So when I first watched it, I was like, hmm, like. I see what it was doing. I had some fun with it, but I just wanted to watch it again to get a feel for exactly what was going on beneath the surface. And when I watched it again, I was able to uncover, you know, just a little bit of a more layering of what it was trying to say. Because like I said before, Adam Scott is great. You know, he's like that guy, you know, who gets up and he's very antsy and he's very like, you know, nervous. And, you know, it felt like he was like kind of like the uh, the nosy neighbor guy just going around like going through people's stuff and everything. I was like, what is this guy doing? Like, you know, and, and it was interesting to see all these characters and you're wondering like how they're going to fit into the story. And when it all comes together, it's like, wow, it's a great revelation to see how this story turn takes like a three, um, a 360 turn towards the end. The ending is great. Like, you know, you talked about, and also I think it, it touched on a couple of different things for me. For one, the, there's a little bit of a horror aspect about being on a plane. I know a lot of people who are afraid of flying on planes, who have a fear of flying. You know, most of my family, you know, has never gotten a plane because they're afraid of flying, you know, so showing in this episode wouldn't be a good precedent for them. But there's, there's a good aspect in like, you know, showing just somebody being on a plane and just afraid of it coming down. Cause think about it, it's different to being in like, you know, in a car where you at least have some way of controlling or a way of getting out if there's danger. In a plane, you know, you kind of have to trust one person, which is the pilot. And you had to like trust the flight attendants to make sure that you're okay and that they teach you the safety techniques and everything. There's a little bit of fear involved in that. So I did like that aspect. And then also I liked Jordan Pill's narration. You know, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but he talks about, you know, like how this guy, Adam Scott Scared, was an investigative reporter, but you know, he looks for unbiased facts. And you know, also the story is about just like how, you know, how we're willing to just look at what other people are doing. And we're not willing to check ourselves for any of the things that we may be doing. And I love that aspect. It felt like it a little great internal message. It brought me back to like some aspects of us for some weird reason. Maybe because it was Jordan Peele in it. But it had that little um, segue for me. But I had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, you know, the ending was a big shocker. 
Jordan Peele looked like he had a lot of fun with this. Like the way he comes in on the in the beginning with his narration was I laughed out loud at that moment, and then his ending was just so good, just where he was spotted at, and it was it was a great episode. And I think I think we're in for a great season, guys. Like um, these first two episodes have been better than I anticipated, you know. So I I'm just ready for more. I just hate that they're spaced out so long uh you know (laughs) yeah given 10 days between the first two and the third is a really strange choice i would i actually thought that it was coming this thursday as in today we're recording on a thursday night i thought episode three would be out today um because the first two dropped on monday out of place but no they're they're letting it linger for a while and yeah i mean i want more i guess as an endorsement right is i want more yeah i think that a, a show like this from a creative standpoint, at the very least, gives writers and directors an opportunity to shine. And again, I go back to Black Mirror because it's a favorite series of mine, but Dan Trachtenberg has a great episode on Black Mirror. And I'm hoping to see maybe some famous directors who want to take a shot at some of this uh, short form storytelling and see what they can do within the confines of the the Twilight Zone universe. Yep, that would be pretty awesome, and I wouldn't be surprised in the least. Well, before we jump off of this episode, we've got one more thing to talk about, fellas, and that is a little bit of... Trailer Talk. All right, we have all been anticipating, I think, the new trailer for Todd Phillips's film, Joker. This is the upcoming movie in the DC universe that is a little bit out there, a little bit off the wall, not exactly being marketed as really being part of the current DCEU. It's got a different Joker than Suicide Squad did. It was really just random when it showed up to be being in the uh, production uh, stages and here it is. The first trailer has finally come out. We have gotten to see Joaquin Phoenix as the iconic Joker, giving his uh, interpretation of that. The film also stars Zazie Beetz and Robert De Niro, which seems pretty fitting considering the tone. It's going to be out in theaters October the 4th. How do we feel about Joker so far? Kales, I'm going to let you kick us off. Well, if there was any hesitations I had about the film before, um, they were shattered with this trailer. I usually don't like to jump to like any big takeaways for trailers. You know, I just kind of comment on the way they look, but this one looks very, very good. Um, I love the gritty look to it. You know, it seems like the colors are, they're not as bright. They're very saturated. It has like a little taxi driver kind of like feel to it. Some Scorsese parallels and you know i was never worried about joaquin i know joaquin was going to bring it no matter what i mean he's one of the best actors in the world we have right now but i was kind of worried given that todd phillips did do the hangover trilogy i love the first one but part two part three no mas but uh um i love i love the direction he's taking with this you know i love that the cast he has especially the great like robert de niro little like side um view we got to see you know it brings parallels to his king of comedy role another scorsese parallel right there um and i also like that brian tyree henry is in this he's been in like everything and for like and- yeah for like the last <laughs> six to eight months everything yeah and you know 
if anybody doesn't know me, they know that I love the show Atlanta, and you know he's on there as a as a very main character. So for him to get all this work and all these great films, it's great to see. And I'm I'm excited, man. I'm very very excited. It's great to see DC can do films like Shazam, but then also give you still the dark gritty stuff like this. So I'm great, man. And you know I just can't wait to see when it comes. Patrick, I know you were commenting to me about it today. I think you watched it for the first time finally, and you were like, oh, shocked. So what do you think? Well, I've never like been in love with the character. I respect the character of Joker a lot. And being that he's the Batman nemesis, I mean, I have to respect him because, you know, that's your guy. But I, I was thinking of one word takeaways because that's what we do. And the words organic and human came to mind as I was watching this. And I was really surprised at seeing the potential connection to his mom and this layered backstory that we might start getting. Because the thing about Joker as a character is, unless you're fully inundated with the comics, it's complex. There's so much about his character that has been written and rewritten. And where does his motivation come from? And Heath Ledger's Joker sort of hints at that, but lies and is very deceptive. And, of course, I started thinking about, well, how is this going to compare to Heath Ledger? which is an unfair thing to do because one, we're looking at a trailer and two, Heath Ledger only had one movie to flesh out his character, which was phenomenal. But I think this iteration of Joker is different because we're not dealing with Joker versus Batman. It's just Joker. Who's the villain? Maybe Joker is the villain. I don't know really what the plot is, which is kind of great because I, I don't know what it's about except what the title is Joker. So if this is only a character study in this person and how he came to be as an origin story, I'm fine with that. And Kalesh, as you mentioned, Joaquin Phoenix is always going to bring that interest level up when it comes to these characters that he plays, whether it's Joker or whether it's the man in black, Johnny Cash, he's going to completely own the character and let you feel who this character is, whether it's a real life person or not. So I'm not worried about him, you know, in agreement with you. What I am curious about is honestly what the movie's going to be about. But from what I'm seeing, I'm already going to be in because it's Joker and it's a mystery to be solved for me. Well, I think this is probably a great time for me to humbly bring up again that I have shaken the hand of now the Joker. Um, yeah, yeah, I have. I have. So that basically makes me Batman, I think. Is that, that's how it works, right? So we could just, we can go with that. <laughs> I'll give you Alfred, maybe, but not, not that. Oh my gosh, Alfred. Oh, Alfred, that just made me think of Shazam and some end credit stuff that I can't wait for you to see. Okay. Well, we're not talking about Shazam. We're talking about Joker. And I love what you brought up there, Coles, because I thought the same thing. The recent string of DC movies have been so on point with the specific character and the tone for that individual character. Like, Aquaman has a tone that is very distinct to Aquaman. Shazam, it's very different because it fits that character and that superhero. I love that. And Joker seemingly is going to be doing the same thing with the iconic villain. Patrick, I love what you said. It doesn't give anything away. It just sets the tone. It sets the expectation for what we're going to see it taxi driver came to my mind too i mean i don't think it, anybody didn't think about taxi driver especially with robert de niro being in the stinking movie like you feel very much like you're in a scorsese world when you're watching this trailer 
Um, I think it's going to get crazy and not in the sense that we're used to a Joker necessarily being crazy. I think it might be darker and more violent than we're used to as far as seeing the Joker in action. I get that sense because we didn't see any of that in the trailer. And I think that that's being held back. But the exploration of kind of that psychosis that is taking place and how the, the backstory, it fascinates me to find out how the Joker gets to where he is and then how that informs his decision making and his outlook on the world. And let me just say this, that this is the first character, the first movie in the DC universe or in from DC that has not gotten me curious about how it fits into everything else. And I know that DC has gone on record and saying they're not doing that intentionally anymore. But as someone who was on board with Man of Steel and BBS and Justice League to an extent, I've always been curious. How does Wonder Woman fit in? Where does Aquaman fit in? Shazam will probably deflate that a little bit. But I think Joker has really been the first time that I haven't asked how does he fit into this? Is this before or after? I, I don't really care, which I think speaks a lot to the interest level of the character himself. Yeah, honestly, just to piggyback on what Patrick said, like, honestly, when I saw the trailer, I wasn't thinking of any DC Universe parallels. Like, I just see this as like, as like almost like what like Batman Begins and like those movies were just kind of like a little, their little like own like little standalone like corner stores and stuff where they have their own like little merchandise and everything, you know, cause, um, I know honestly, like it would be weird to see this character try to get fit into the DC universe. So I think it's good that they're just going with just the, this little character study kind of film and just building up this character, which is making me more in anticipation, you know, because honestly, it would have been just so like deflating if it was like, oh, well, you know, after this film, like there's an end credit scene, we're going to figure out how to put him into the Suicide Squad. Like, no, like, let this just be a film where we get to see a legendary character get fleshed out, you get to see a backstory, and you know, you just get to see Joaquin wreak havoc on Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all in. I'm excited. I don't want to see anything else. Uh, this is one of those situations where I feel like the first trailer is pretty much perfect. I've seen exactly what I needed to. It's got my hype level as high as it needs to go. I'm there. I'm in the seat. I'm ready. Um, don't give me more. I uh, just, just let me roll with this until October and we'll, we'll be there. Uh, this is going to be interesting for us too, Patrick, just as a final thought that to cover this with our DC guy, Andrew Dice, this is a very distinctly different comic book film than we have typically covered with Andrew um, because they've all been the same pretty much up until now um, for the most part. And so I'm really excited for that conversation uh, to kind of get a different side of him than maybe we've been accustomed to talking to. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. I know we're covering this for sure. I'm excited about that. Well, speaking of Andrew Dice, we will be hearing from him sooner rather than later because up in the next few days, we are back in the theater covering the latest DC feature Shazam with Andrew Dice from ScreenRant.com. And as you mentioned, Aaron, having him on the show is always a good time. So you guys don't want to miss that one. And that's all from us on this week for FF Plus. We are glad you guys joined us and we hope that we got you excited about some of the stuff that we discussed. Aaron, Coles, thank you guys for a great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. 
you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.